Okay, uh, we're going to try to use the, the PowerPoint if we can, but if we can't, uh, not a big deal. It was partly more for the benefit of the, uh, our Hispanic brethren. Uh, let's go ahead and open up in a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning. One, to remember you and to worship you for who you are and what you've done. We pray now that as we come to your word, you would open our eyes, our ears. Help us learn and apply what you're trying to teach us so that we may, in, this, in the midst of this decaying culture, be salt and light. We give you praise and glory for it is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So previously we had talked about, when I, the last time I spoke, we had talked about the need of salvation. Uh, we talked a little bit about sin. So today what I want to do between both of the meetings is cover some of the uh, critical components of salvation. Uh, this morning we'll talk about faith and regeneration, and later we'll talk about uh, justification and adoption. Um, if you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11, I'll be making reference to several passages of Scripture. We won't look at them. At, we won't look at all of them for the sake of time, but I can certainly uh, give them to you for later uh, reading or research. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, the King James Version defines faith this way. It says, it is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you have the New American Standard, it says in this same verse this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith, we learn from Scripture, is belief based on facts, okay? It is not a blind faith. The gospel, when you learn what the gospel is all about, the gospel is a statement of definite historical facts that the Old Testament saints believed would happen and the New Testament saints believed happened. So it's based on facts. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, said Paul. And I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 15, but you don't need to turn there. And then he made plain exactly what the gospel is. He said this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here we find three tremendous facts. We find the fact of his substitutionary death. We find the fact of his burial and the fact of his resurrection. These are all historical facts of which our faith is based upon. But we also learn from scripture that faith is more than just the recognition of certain facts. A person, and we may all know people like this, a person may know all about Christ as revealed in the Bible, 
and even believe that the Bible is true and yet not have real faith in Christ as his personal Savior. And that's where the difference is. It is what that faith does in contrast to what just mere intellectual assent on facts does. The point that the scriptures make is that agreement by the mind is not the same as surrender of the heart. There may be many who have agreement in the mind, but who definitely have no surrender in their heart. They have not placed faith in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. We know from James chapter 2, verse 19, that even Satan and fallen angels believe in God to the extent that they tremble for fear of Him. Faith not only accepts but also believes and applies those facts. Faith involves the affections and the will as well as the intellect. Faith harmonizes the will and the understanding. Notice what it says at the very end of verse 1. Faith is, listen, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that faith enables the soul to penetrate into the spiritual realm. Faith is the source of spiritual achievement. Notice what it says in verse 2 of Hebrews 11. By it. By what? By faith. By it, the men of old gained what? Approval. What does that mean? Well, Abel... Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and many others who are listed in the Faith Hall of Fame are there not because of their wealth or their wisdom or their worldly achievements, but because of what? Their faith. Their faith. Notice what it says in verse 6. Without faith, what? It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In other words, faith is the supreme requirement of heaven's favor. Without it, we have nothing. Now there's three types of faith that the scriptures speak about. First of all, there's saving faith. Adam's sin, Adam's, uh, Adam and Eve's sin brought death to the human race. Notice what uh, Genesis 3.19 says, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That was the divine decree issued to the first parents. Now, the all-important questions 
the, the all-important question that we ought to be asking ourselves is the question which we find in Job chapter 14 uh, and verse 14 where it says, if a man dies, will he live again? Some people may want one thing today and altogether another thing tomorrow, but one, th one thing is for certain. When people are in their deathbed, what is the one thing they do want? Life. But the scripture is very clear. In fact, our Lord himself said that apart from him there is no life. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Saving faith produces salvation from the penalty of sin. That's what John chapter 3 verses 16 through 18 teaches. It is belief in the only Savior appointed for this purpose. That is the very reason for which Christ came. Without faith in Christ, a person will be deprived of heaven's happiness through eternity. That's what John 3.36 teaches us. He or she must share forever the punishment that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Those who have saving faith, those with saving faith, believe in their heart. They have that conviction and they confess with their mouth. That is what Paul teaches us in Romans 10, verses 8 and 11. You remember upon Calvary's three crosses, there hung three representatives of the human race. You recall that two of the malefactors were alike in their sin. They were alike in their condemnation. But in the last moments, you recall that one of them cruelly mocked the Lord, questioning his deity and saying, if you could save yourself, while the other one, what, rebuked his companion's statement. Why? Because in those dying moments, he demonstrated those things necessary for, for saving faith. He recognized his own sinfulness and acknowledged who the Lord was. He believed in his heart and he confessed with his mouth. And what was the Lord's response to that demonstration? He says, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So we have saving faith. Then we have living faith. So faith is required not only for the preservation from the penalty of sin, but it is also for the deliverance from the power of sin. You remember that we as believers were enslaved in bondage to sin. By faith, not only have we been uh, preserved from the penalty of sin, but we've also experienced delivery from the power of sin. When people once 
understand the love of God as expressed in Christ, they will not continue to sin. At least that is not the pattern of their lives. That is not to say a person will not sin. It's to say that he will not practice sin. When you read, uh, and if you want to turn to James chapter 1, we learn in James chapter 1 that God uses temptation to test faith. We're not saying that God tempts anyone. But he does allow Satan to tempt us. And he uses that temptation as a test of our faith. He not only allows the trials and the challenges of life to come, but he allows and uses those temptations for our benefit and for his own glory. So in verse uh, 13 of chapter 1, you notice that clearly it's not God who tempts, but because he is not the evil, the, the author of evil, but he does allow Satan to do so. So God, the difference here is that God tests while the devil tempts. So there's a substantive difference in the two. Satan's temptations can be recognized for they are typically common to all people according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. But believers, when you look at James chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3, we learn that believers are to rejoice in the midst of trials. Why? Because of what it will produce. And since it is proved that God, of God's loving discipline. So we have saving faith. We have living faith. And then we have working faith. Sinners. And this is a big difference between uh, uh, the, the Reformed theology the evangelical theology and the and Roman Catholic theology, for example, and for that matter, any other religion. We know that sinners are saved by faith, not by works. But it is by works that we demonstrate or prove our faith. In other words, a person who claims faith and has no works that demonstrates that faith. James says what? That faith is what? Dead. There has to be evidence, some fruit that points to saving faith to start with. Paul said in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Though not created in Christ Jesus by good works, believers are created unto or for good works. Goodness, and when we think of our society today, our culture, and the dramatic shift, the decay, that there ever has been a time for us to be salt and light, to speak the truth, lovingly, but speak the truth 
boldly. Demonstrate by our works that we have saving faith, living faith, and working faith. In fact, the Lord Jesus says that as we do good works, others who see those good works would what? Glorify God for them. Then we have regeneration. And the reason I put faith and regeneration together is because saving faith and regeneration are inseparable. Let me move quickly through a couple of points here. First of all, we find the necessity of the new birth. Why is it necessary for us to be regenerated? Three reasons I'm going to share with you. First of all, human depravity. Scripture is clear in teaching us that we are all sinners, that there is not one righteous. When Adam and Eve sinned, we inherited that sinful nature. We are born in enmity with God. We are corrupt through and through. And again, as I have shared before, it doesn't mean that we are as bad as we can be, but that the corruption is through and through. We also need to be born again because of God's holiness. His holiness requires His children to be holy and righteous in order to gain entrance into His presence, into heaven. Only It is only when people begin to understand something about the unchangeably holy nature of God that they come to realize how absolutely unfitted they are in their natural condition to have fellowship with Him. His holiness requires the new birth. And thirdly, because of the certainty of death. Scripture is clear in teaching us that the wages of sin is what? Death. We're all going to die at some point. It doesn't matter how many scientific or technological advances we make. We will all at some point die. And there's nothing that we can do to overcome death. However, God made provision for this human predicament. And we find that solution or that provision in a very well-known verse in Scripture, John chapter 3 and verse 16. Everlasting life is given to those who by faith receive, appropriate the offer of God's love shown in Christ. So we must be born again because of human depravity, because of the certainty of death, and because of the holiness of God. Without that new birth, there's no hope. And then we must also understand the nature of the new birth. The new birth has nothing to do with natural descent. The Jews were God's chosen people, yet they needed to believe in order to be saved. They weren't saved simply because of human natural descent. It is the same today. 
Just because we grow up in a church environment or a Christian home doesn't by definition make us Christians. We must at some point make a decision by faith, accept, trust, believe, appropriate. It has more to do with human decision. Listen, and this is what every other religion essentially teaches. That salvation comes by self-reformation. No such thing. How can one who is dead reform himself? There's nothing I can do to correct the sin problem in me. It has nothing to do with human decision. You remember that, uh, um, for example, Joash had been very well ed educated by Jehoiada, the high priest, but as soon as his faithful instructor, instructor died, he fell into evil ways again in Second Chronicles 24. You remember Saul of Tarsus, a very highly and well-respected man. In spite of his education and, 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 and the admiration that he have, had by his own people, he was persecuting the church. It is not by human determination either. For those of us who are parents or, and we're Christians, the thing we desire most for our children is what? That they would place their faith in Christ and follow Him. But we can't make them. All we can do is follow the instruction of Scripture which says that we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That we are to train up a child in the way they should go. But at the end, they must make the choice. We don't make it for them. It is about being born of God. That is the nature of the new birth. Regeneration starts with God and ends with God. The faith that justifies is the work of God. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, What was there to love? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It has nothing to do with who my forefathers were. It has nothing to do with human decision. It has nothing to do with human determination. It is God through and through who causes my regeneration. And I'll just give you really quickly some points about the nobility of the new birth. 
The moment you were born again, listen to me, according to 2 Peter 1.4, you became a partaker of the divine nature. It is the only reason why you can make any choices that are consistent with the word and the will of God. Because you have that now in you. Your body also becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. And according to John, in 1 John 5, through regenerated people, people who have been born again, overcome the world. And according to John, in the same book, chapter 3, verse 9, regenerated people become sin conquerors. When was the last time you thought of yourself as a sin conqueror who has overcome the world? And how did he overcome the world? By faith. And it is about the ability to love others, which is one of those things which Christ said, if you want to know if a person is a believer, a follower, a disciple of Christ, you will know them by the love they have one for the other. And not only for other believers, but for all people. That is the reason why we proclaim the good news, the gospel, in order to bring the lost, whom the Lord loves, to faith in him. All right, we're out of time. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the faith that you have given us that has allowed us thus to see the truth about who you are and what you've done. And we thank you for the new birth. It is by means of that new birth that we are now found in a personal relationship with you. We're saved forever to spend eternity with you because by virtue of that new birth the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to me. When you see me you see your son's righteousness. It is because of that righteousness in me that I now have gained entrance into your presence now and forevermore, one day face to face. We thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.